You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and today is officially day 44 of us staying inside the house to try and kick coronavirus's ass. Yeah, that's right, Corona, I said it. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you're trying to stay fit at home, you can do a lot more push-ups if you lay on your back. 566, 567, 568, 569, 570. Anyway, on tonight's episode, Tupac is living in Kentucky. We reminisce about life before corona and why sometime soon you might be socially distanced from your bacon. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Every day, before we turn to the serious stories, we like to look at the stories that put the us in coronavirus in our ongoing segment, Array of Sunshine. First up, thanks to this pandemic, government officials are highly strung. They have to keep people indoors, they have to keep hospitals running, and they have to take all their bribes over Venmo, which is really tough because you have to write in the memo what the money is for. Well, this week in Kentucky, the governor was busy trying to stop unemployment scams, and in the process, he made an unlikely discovery. Unfortunately, um, it's gonna take a little bit of time in these because a couple of bad apples uh, can make uh, uh, this challenge that much more difficult. For instance, we had somebody apply for unemployment for Tupac Shakur here in Kentucky. And that person probably thought they were being funny. I didn't know, um, and it's my fault, uh, that we have a Kentuckian who goes by Malik. Uh, whose name is Tupac Shakur. Ooh, yeah, that was, um, that, this is a tough one, really, because, I, like, think about it. On the one hand, on the one hand, the governor should know that it's possible for two people to have the same name. But on the other hand, if the person you share a name with is Tupac Shakur, at least throw in a middle initial so that people don't get confused. I mean, why do you think Michael B. Jordan has the B? It's so that no one is ever disappointed to see him. Oh, it's you. Like, I gotta assume that if your name is Tupac Shakur, this probably happens to you every single day of your life. You know, putting your order in at Starbucks, uh, ordering food delivery, and good luck calling 911. Hello, 911, please help me. I've just been shot. Okay, sir, we're sending someone immediately. What's your name? It's Tupac Shakur. Very funny, sir. I'll put out an APB on the Notorious B.I.G. Moving on, after all the coronavirus shutdowns have ended, what's the first thing you plan to do? Hmm? You're gonna go to a concert? You're gonna reunite with your friends? Divorce your children? Well, when the lockdown ended in New Zealand, the first thing many people did was hit up McDonald's. Yeah, when McDonald's opened around the country this week, people lined up at 5 a.m. and the lines were so long that they stretched all the way down the street. And I just love how coronavirus has made people reassess their priorities. Like all those juice cleansers and healthy life crap are out the window. People are like, get me a Big Mac and some cocaine. I'm living my life. Although I'm willing to bet that some people were just driving up for the social interaction. Uh, no thanks, I don't want anything. I just uh, wanted to talk to another human being. This is really nice. Beep beep. Come on, asshole, move it along. Oh wow, two conversations at once. This is a dream come true. Now, here in America, the lockdowns 
have not ended in many places. So many people have had to find new ways to keep themselves entertained in quarantine. And because the Met Gala was supposed to take place next Monday, fashion fans have started recreating famous outfits from the event at home. Yeah, one person made the Rihanna dress out of newspaper. Uh, Another person decided to go with chandelier Katy Perry. And you know what's cool is that this is a challenge that anyone can participate in. Because if you put any household object on your head, the chances are someone wore it at some point to the Met Gala. So yeah, this year, that's what people are doing. Because of coronavirus, people are wearing Met Gala outfits at home. As opposed to what I did last year, where I wore a home outfit to the Met Gala. I see what you say about me, internet, and it hurts my feelings. In some more good news, the world was not destroyed today. Yes, an asteroid as wide as 20 city blocks zoomed past planet Earth this morning. And scientists say it could have even come closer, but luckily, it respects social distancing. Thank God that the asteroid missed us because uh, the world ending during quarantine would have really sucked. That'd be the most boring way for us to go out. You can't cross anything off your bucket list when you're stuck at home. I'm finally gonna mix orange juice and milk. Ah! And lastly, while an asteroid was whizzing past the Earth, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds paid a special visit to New York. Even if you didn't see it, you may have heard the rumble of the flyover yesterday from the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. The flyover was done as a tribute to frontline workers fighting coronavirus in the city. Seven Blue Angels jets and eight Thunderbirds planes started their trip over the city at around noon. This event turned out to be a magnet for crowds at a time when we are telling people not to gather in groups. Oh no, what have you done? What have we done? To celebrate the work we've done fighting coronavirus, we all went outside together and undid all the work we've done fighting coronavirus. Ah! You know what? I blame the military for this one. What did they expect people to do? If you do cool shit outside, people are gonna come outside because they want to see what's happening. What's your next bright idea, huh? The military gonna hire Channing Tatum to walk around in a Speedo? Just like, just wanted to tell everyone to stay inside. No, no, no. Why are you coming to look? There's nothing to see here. Nothing sexy at all. Please, stay away. It's just me, Magic Mike. I mean, the military was basically doing donuts in the sky. Of course New Yorkers are gonna go outside and see it. That's impossible to resist. If cool shit is happening in the sky, you wanna see it. This is the same way the military got Saddam Hussein. Oh, wow, is that the helicopter? I want to see. Open the bunker, open the bunker. No, Saddam! All right, that's it for the Ray of Sunshine. Let's catch up on today's headlines. First up, yesterday, the United States hit a grim milestone in the fight against coronavirus when it surpassed 1 million confirmed cases and more than 58,000 deaths, which is now more than the total number of Americans who died in Vietnam. And these numbers are a long way from late February. Like, you remember when Trump said America's coronavirus cases would go down from 15 to zero in a couple of days. In fact, Trump was asked yesterday how he squares that comment with our current reality, and this is what he said. Back in late February, you predicted that the number of cases would go down to zero. How did we get from your prediction of zero to one million? Well, it will go down to zero ultimately. And you have to understand when it comes to cases, we do much more testing than anybody else. We're gonna show more cases because we're doing much, much more testing, double anybody else. And it will be at the the appropriate time, it will be down to zero, like we said. You see, this is what happens when you elect a real estate developer as a president. 
their timelines are always gonna be BS. You said my bathroom would be done in a month. Yeah, February in 2024 is a month. And I don't know why you're complaining. You still got the kitchen sink. It's like a bathroom, but with dishes. Oh, and by the way, by the way, what did Trump mean when he said corona cases will go down to zero at the appropriate time? How is now not the appropriate time? Like, what does that mean? Trump makes it sound like he's holding out for the right moment to stop coronavirus. Not yet, not yet. In other news, even after the coronavirus is over, its secondary effects could stretch far out into the future. Because you see, health experts are now warning that because parents aren't able to go to the doctor, many children are now falling behind in their vaccinations. And this is for things like measles and whooping cough. And you know, whooping cough is one of those diseases that sounds more fun than it is. Whoop, whoop. The doctor says I have a month to live. And this is such a shitty thing to realize. Because of coronavirus, we could get measles and whooping cough. Basically, coronavirus is that one friend who distracts the bouncer so that the rest of its boys can sneak into the club. And if these other diseases come back, that means two of the most vulnerable populations will be the elderly and children, which would be terrible because then we'd have to quarantine them together. And then we'd have all these five-year-olds coming out of lockdown with stories about World War II and quasi-racist opinions about Italians. I heard that they eat pasta because of, uh... And finally, the Academy Awards has announced that for this year only, because of the coronavirus, movies will not have to be shown in theaters in order to be eligible to win an Oscar. They still have to be white though, because I mean, come on, this is corona, not the end of the world. Also, the Academy is going to update the Oscar statue itself to better reflect this past year. And you know, if you ask me, the Academy had no choice but to do this. I mean, corona has shut everything down. Like, there's no movies coming out. So if they didn't include streaming, then which movie gets an Oscar nomination? What, just like Sonic the Hedgehog? That movie would win everything by default. And the best supporting actor goes to... The Golden Rings from Sonic. Actually, you know what the Oscars should do? Instead of like doing like a whole award ceremony for movies that nobody really watched, why don't they just make an Oscars for the greatest movies of all time? Think about it, think about it. You just take every movie that's ever been made and we do it as like a, like a mega tournament. The all-star Oscars, best movie of the 90s, best movie of the 2000s, greatest actor of all time. Cause then it'll be tough. I'd watch that Oscars. All my favorite movies, you gotta compare them. Who wins, The Godfather or Cool Runnings? Whew, that's tough. And personally, I'm super excited for this news because for decades, winning an Oscar has been too hard. You need a giant crew. You need a massive marketing budget. You gotta convince Meryl Streep to be in your movie. But now, anyone, anyone can make an Oscar winning movie which is exactly what Desi Lydic did. The Daily Show presents One Woman's Dream. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna bake sourdough. And her journey to reach it. I don't have a Dutch oven. Why don't I have a Dutch oven? The challenges she overcame. You'll never bake a good sourdough. You're a failure, just like your mother. Shut up! Shut up! I'll show you all! In a world falling apart. I can't wait a week for Instacart. 
I need that yeast now! This summer, see the movie critics say is legally allowed to win an Oscar. The Rise. I know who I'm voting for. Thank you, Dizzy. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's get straight into the big story. Every single industry in the world has been affected in some way by COVID-19. Retail stores have been shut down. Tourist sites have been closed. Barbers are buying those chia heads just to keep up their skills. And one industry that needs to remain open in order for us to survive is the food industry. But now the virus is coming for that too. The food supply chain is breaking. That's the warning in a full-page ad from Tyson Foods, released in the New York Times. It comes after one of the country's largest meat processors closed a massive pork processing plant in Iowa because of a coronavirus outbreak. A USA Today investigation found 150 of the nation's largest plants are in counties where the infection rate is spiking, threatening not only workers, but potentially the food supply. This morning, with beef increasingly scarce, President Trump promised to take action, signing an executive order under the Defense Production Act to ensure processing plants stay open and run at the maximum extent possible. You know, I'll say this about Trump. He is very clear about what his priorities are in life because he was warned for months about the pandemic coming to America and he did practically nothing. But you tell the man once that there could be a beef shortage and he springs into action like the world's hungriest superhero. But that's Trump, man. If there's one thing we know about him, it's that he loves meat. You know he must have been really disappointed when he heard that Meatloaf was gonna be on The Apprentice and it turned out to be an actual man named Meatloaf. Who the hell is this? I can't put gravy on this man. I mean, I sure as hell will try. But yes, few places in America have seen a higher rate of coronavirus cases than meat processing plants. And although there doesn't seem to be a danger to the food itself, in most of these facilities, the workers are quite literally putting their lives on the line. Processing plants can be a breeding ground for the virus because many workers spend their day side by side. You're not talking about 200 people, you're talking about several thousand people. We are very close. We can use a social distance at that place. One employee concealing their identity for fear of retribution tells us plant managers were asked why fewer employees were showing up, adding the virus was rarely mentioned, if at all. People start being uh, carried out of there. And so we, we were always asking our supervisors, basically, what is it that's going on here? This notice for a $500 attendance bonus enticed employees to keep working. The union representing workers says one month of requests for PPE were basically ignored. Employees tell us workers were given hairnets to use as face masks. A hairnet? Come on, people, that is some bullshit. Workers were given hairnets to wear as face masks. Hairnets can't stop the virus. I don't even think hairnets can stop hair. I've eaten school lunch. And you know, it's really sad that these workers are being forced to keep the food chain going, but nobody's being forced to protect them while they do it. They need equipment to keep safe while doing their jobs. And if you eat meat, you especially should want these workers to be treated right, because without them, the only way you're getting bacon is if you fight the pig yourself. We all know how that's gonna end. So, troubles at meat processing plants is one problem. But there's also another problem that's messing up the food supply chain right now, and that's distribution. 
Because with everyone locked down and eating at home, the food that used to go to restaurants and schools has now got nowhere to go. Before the pandemic, by one estimate, 24 million cases of food were delivered every day to restaurants, schools, and large venues in bulk. And to repackage it for sale in grocery stores takes time and money. With restaurants closed, demand for butter and cheese has dropped significantly. Farmers who can no longer get their products to restaurants and other customers are discarding millions of pounds of fresh fruit and vegetables. Bars and breweries tapping out, like Minnesota's Bauhaus Brew Labs, forced to dump 900 gallons of perfectly fine brewski down the drain as demand for draft beer dries up. Damn. They had to dump 900 gallons of craft beer down the drain. Right now, all over America, fraternity house flags are flying at half-mast. Although it's not bad news for everyone. I mean, down in the sewers, the hipster rats are having the time of their lives. But these supply chain problems don't surprise me at all. I mean, of course, people don't eat the same way at home as they would in restaurants, right? Nobody at home is like, you know what I could do tonight, honey? I could have a seafood tower. Why don't you bring out one of those triple-decker trays that we always use for the seafood? And this gap between what factories and farmers are producing and what people are now eating isn't just messing up the food chain in the United States. No, it's happening all over the world. In fact, it's gotten so bad that one country is calling on all of its citizens to help out in a special way. Meanwhile, in Belgium, people are being asked to eat twice the amount of French fries, all in an effort to prevent food waste. According to research, Belgians already typically eat fries at least once a week. But potato farmers say if everyone doubles the amount of consumption, it could prevent nearly 750,000 tons of surplus potatoes from going to waste. Wow. Belgians are being asked to help eat 750,000 pounds of extra French fries. And that seems like a challenge, but if they can borrow some weed from Amsterdam next door, they can knock that out in like a day, tops. I'm not gonna lie. I get that this is a problem, but personally, being asked to eat more French fries, that would be my dream come true. Well, I mean, to give you the full story, my dream is that I'm eating extra French fries because J-Lo can't finish hers because she ate too many appetizers during our wedding's cocktail hour and then she wants to save some room for cake. But that's basically the dream. It's close enough. <laughs> but here's what I say. If Belgium can solve its food chain problems by asking people just to eat more French fries, then surely the United States of America can step up too. America. We're going through difficult times, disease, lockdown. They even delayed the new James Bond movie. Just looking forward to that. But if there's one thing this crisis has presented to Americans, it's a challenge that we're uniquely prepared to face, food waste. All over this great nation, food that was supposed to go to restaurants and school cafeterias is being thrown away because we can't eat in such huge quantities anymore. But we can't. The hell we can't, this is the USA. Man, we're the country that invented supersizing, hot dog eating contests, and fighting to the death over a fried chicken sandwich. We've been training for this crisis our entire lives. So America, I need you to join with me and stuff your faces like your lives and your country depends on it. Because it does. USA, 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 USA. 
Thank you so much for that, Roy. I'm inspired and hungry. All right, after the break, we're gonna go back to life before coronavirus. How? Stick around to find out. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, it's safe to say the world we knew before coronavirus hit feels a long way off right now. And when everything feels so strange and different, it can be comforting, can really be comforting to remember the good times. So that's exactly what Desi Lydic, Jabuki Young-White, Ronnie Chang, and Roy Wood Jr. did in our new segment, What I Miss. Hey, what's up, y'all? How y'all feeling, man? Yeah, okay, you know. Good. It's good. You wanna know what I miss about life before quarantine? I miss sports. I just miss going to a bar and just watching a game. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, for me personally, I don't miss sports, but I just miss the normal things of just hanging out with friends. Do you know what I miss the most? Eating anything outside my home. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, just going to a restaurant and like holding a menu. Oh, I definitely miss restaurants, man. I miss excusing myself to go to the bathroom and then crawling up in the ceiling and just living in the air duct for three days. Mm. Mm. The best. So snug. You know, what I really miss is just seeing new things. Yeah, man. Going new places. Traveling. Packing a suitcase, strapping a weapon to your leg, and just going through TSA checkpoint just to get that thrill when they don't find it. I miss going outside and just seeing a dog and then thinking, if I was a dog, would I find that dog sexy? And would that dog find me sexy. Do y'all remember going to the park on Saturdays with your friend and you bring a big five pound ham to the park and you have a good old fashioned ham toss where the only rule is first one who drops the ham eats the ham. I really miss getting thrown out of Old Navy. I miss going to the zoo and telling the seals that I'm disappointed in them. Handing rocks to people on the subway and just whispering, one day, you will know what this means. I miss going down to the beach and just breathing in that fresh, salty air and strapping a cinder block to myself and then just walking straight into the ocean. Dressing up like Elmo in Times Square and whispering into kids' ears that God isn't real. Or going to the zoo and telling the seals that I'm disappointed in them. <laughs> I, I said that already. I miss going to the DMV in a diaper and dressing up like a big baby and going, big baby needs a driver's license. Oh, uh, you know what I miss? I miss gradually displacing the household staff of a wealthy Korean family and killing the dad and living in the basement. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> I miss going to the movies. Ronnie, what the f***? What the hell's wrong with you, Ronnie? You're some kind of freak. Man. I what? um, I think I gotta I gotta wa um water myself yeah. or something. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I gotta go. I'm I'm out. Out. No, uh, guys, no, 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 don't go. No, I was just joking. Weird. No, no, guys, I don't go. Don't go. I can be weirder. I don't. I don't just go to the movies. I, I also take a dump in the popcorn and then I eat it. Guys, guys. Oh, thank you so much for that, guys. When we come back. My guest will be Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. We'll be talking about how his state is handling the coronavirus shutdown and where he, as a Republican governor, disagrees with President Trump. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to speak to Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. 
a Republican who is very popular in a state that tends to vote Democratic. We talked about his plan to reopen his state and his many disagreements with President Trump. Governor Hogan, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you, Trevor. You are one of the governors in America who's fighting hard to uh, keep your state um, in a good place when it comes to the coronavirus outbreak. Where does Maryland stand right now? Well, unfortunately, you know, we're a little bit behind uh, where New York and some of the other places are, but we're not nearly as bad, but we're still on the rise. We've just passed over 20,000, you know, cases, and we just went over 1,000 deaths today. So sadly, our numbers are still on the rise. The Washington area is starting to grow. It, it, It really has been an interesting journey in America because... You know, some people don't want anything to close down. Others wanted shutdowns to happen immediately. But one thing that's been apparent is many governors have been forced to go it alone. You know, you're all making your own decisions. There hasn't been one centralized approach. I mean, the president said he's in charge and then said governors are in charge. So how are you making these decisions? Are you liaising with other governors or are you just looking at what Maryland needs? Well, so I'm the chairman of the National Governors Association and we have had, I believe, 17 or 18 conference calls with all of America's governors. We've had, uh, I think, 12 calls with the president and or vice president, other calls with just the governors. And we're talking with each other kind of one-on-one with governors all across the country, Democrats and Republicans working together. Um, And we really are sharing a lot of information and talking with each other about the the crisis and how it's affecting their states and the decisions we're making. But governors are on the front lines and we've had to, we're in a tough position making really hard decisions, um, trying to make decisions based on the science, uh, listening to the smartest people on the infection and how to keep our people safe, while also worried about, you know, our economy and how it's impacting, you know, people losing their jobs and small businesses. You have been talking to the president, but you've also been outwardly critical of the president, which is rare of a Republican governor. Um, Tell me what you wish President Trump could have done differently or where you think the federal government could have changed its approach in in how it's working with the states. Well, Trevor, I've tried my best. You know, I don't think in the middle of this pandemic, where I think it's so critically important that we try to all work together at the federal, state and local level, because the real enemy is the virus. And I think, well, there'll be plenty of time later to go back and take a look at what we could have done or should have done better. So I'm not trying to be critical of the president or the administration. They have been working together and getting some things done with us. Mm -hmm. But I've been I haven't been afraid to stand up when I think that things are not going well. My job as the leader of the governors, both Democrats and Republicans, is to stand up and say, hey, we're not getting help on this. Uh, We've expressed our frustration on the lack of availability of testing and personal protective equipment um, and a number of other issues. But look, I think they're making some strides and they have been doing a good job of communicating with the governors and trying to address our needs. But we've, you know, we've butted heads a few times, but I haven't tried to go out and I'm not one of those folks that's just out uh, uh, criticizing the president for no reason. I'm just pushing to try to get the help that we need in our states. Yeah, you, you've also been proactive in doing it for yourself. You did something that was really unique. You personally negotiated with South Korea to get 500,000 testing kits um, for, I think, $9 million. How did that happen? And, and why did you choose to do this? Because, I mean, most people would have said, wait for the federal government, and you just went out and got the testing kits yourself. Well, you know, we, we, we waited, and uh, the federal government, I mean, the president made it clear. He kept saying, he said, this is a local thing. States should be doing the testing. Now, I'm not sure I, I agree with that. I think maybe the federal government could have done more, but we had no choice. We were put in a position where governors were scraping and clawing and cr- trying to get tests all over the country from various providers and all over the world. Um, my wife is born in South Korea, and I happen to have a good relationship with the ambassador, with the president. 
Uh, and we just made a personal appeal. Uh, we worked on it for about three weeks. My wife speaking fluent Korean to folks in Korea with a couple of other translators with our scientists back and forth with this company. And, you know, landing a half a, half a million tests for the, the people of our state was a huge thing when states around the country had no tests. Um, and so we were happy to be able to get it done. Um, and uh, it, it took a lot of work. And I want to give uh, the First Lady of Maryland really a lot of credit for helping us get it done. It, it's unusual. I mean, states don't normally do international deals like that to try to get this kind of a thing. But I mean, I was happy we were able to get it done. You know, we, we're learning every day that testing seems to be almost the most crucial factor of how we go about fighting the coronavirus. If we don't know how many people have it or have had it, we don't know how to deal with it or move forward. And it's very hard for us to reopen society and get back to work yes. if we can't identify and isolate and find out exactly where the virus is to stop so the spread. Yeah, so let's talk Let's talk to that. What are you trying to do right now in terms of getting Maryland ready to open up? I mean, everyone has to think about when to open up, but you can't do it unless you know how many people have or have had the virus. So, so what is your plan as governor for your state? So we, we laid out a very detailed plan that we announced last Friday, and we, we listened to the smartest scientists and doctors, uh, public health uh, officials in our state, and laid out kind of a safe, effective, and gradual reopening, um, because we've got to get things back to normal in some way over a period of time, but we have to do it safely. So there's basic building blocks. We want to make sure we have adequate testing. We have surge capacity in our hospitals. We have enough of the personal protective equipment, and, and we have, we can do this contact tracing so we can identify the people who have been in contact with those people that have the virus. That's that's the first steps. And then what can you open up safely? We're working with all of our different in industry groups to say, help us come up with plans about how could you reopen your businesses uh, in a safe way that protects um, your workers and your customers. I, I've been struggling to understand how one state can open and other states can stay closed when it feels like that would be counterintuitive if people can cross borders freely, which is what people can do in the United States. I mean, you're hearing reports of the TSA saying airplanes are packed once again. You know, people are flying around much more than they were a few weeks ago. So is there, is there an element of concern that there is no synchronicity to this whole thing? I mean, if Maryland doesn't open, New York doesn't open, and then Georgia does, and another place does, and another place doesn't, doesn't, isn't that going to be undermined if people cross over from one place to the next? You know, the virus doesn't recognize state borders or, or international borders. And uh, in, in our area, we're very close with Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. And we're all kind of working in, in uh, conjunction with one another, with the governor of Virginia, the mayor of Washington, D.C., to make sure that we're, we're sort of on the same page because many of our people live in one jurisdiction, work in another. They travel back and forth on the same metro system. And uh, it's hard if one person opens up everything. Um, if somebody opens up all the bars and restaurants, everybody from our state will go over there and bring it back. You know, so you've got to work together and it's, you've got to be done in a smart way. But the, the president uh, has said every, each governor is going to make those own decisions. Governors are making decisions and uh, we're hopefully going to work together and figure out ways that we're not you know, spreading it from one place to another. Whereas most countries in the world seem to be fighting the virus on its own, America seems to be fighting the virus while Democrats are fighting Republicans. You know, it seems like, it seems like some states are making their decisions based on the fact that they're Republican. Some states seem to be making the decision uh, in a different way. And, and what's confusing to me is, is, is whether some of these decisions are being made for political reasons or just based on the facts. Do you have a sense of that because you talk to all of these governors? I'm sure that there's probably some politics in some of the, of the decisions, Trevor, but I would argue that 
I've never seen uh, in my lifetime the kind of uh, bipartisan cooperation that we've seen. I've never, you know, we've had almost daily or every other day we're talking, all the governors talking to one another, sharing what's going on in their states. Uh, different people may be making different decisions, but there's been, I think, less politics than normal. Um, I, and my colleagues, I haven't really seen you know, uh, people wearing red jerseys or blue jerseys, Democrats fighting with Republicans. We've been saying, how do we help each other? Um, how, you know, how are we dealing with this with our my, you know, the, my next door neighbor, Governor of Virginia, the mayor of D.C., they're both Democrats. I, it doesn't matter to me. We're all in this together. Um, and I think there's more cooperation. And even in Congress, where there's almost never complete partisan dysfunction, um, they've been able to pass four stimulus bills through the House and the Senate with Republican and Democratic agreement nearly unanimously in like a month. Well, it usually takes 10 years to get a bill passed, you know, so it, it, there's still partisanship and and, um, and and there's still Republicans and Democrats. But I, I think it's been less, some of that has been pushed aside because we have this common enemy. We're all fighting this virus and trying to save people's lives. Um, before I let you go, I, I wanted to find out in, uh, your plan for Maryland itself. If, if there are citizens of your state right now who are watching this and they're asking themselves, when is it going to open? How is it going to open? I know that you started to think about stages of how to open your state. What is your game plan right now? So we're waiting for our our numbers to kind of, we're looking at hospitalization rates and ICU beds. And as that starts to level off and plateau, when, when we see that we're getting safer on the numbers, we're going to gradually open up with some quality of life issues that can, they're still safe, let people get outside and do certain things that are less risk. You know, we have different categories of risk. So phase one will be things that you can go back, start to get things back to normal, some smaller businesses that are low touch, that don't have a lot of interaction, don't have a lot of people jammed in together. And then it's phasing and slowly do things. And two weeks later, take a look at where we are, open up more things and more things uh, before you get to the more, the bigger opening right. up businesses and bars and restaurants and things like that it takes a while. But we're going to do it in conjunction with the scientists and the business community uh, and to make sure that we're doing it in a smart way, because what we don't want to do is rush it and then have a spike. And that's going to be terrible for the economy if we, you know, we, we, we cause another uh, wave of this and overload our, our healthcare system. Well, Governor Hogan, I thank you so much for your time and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your time, Governor Hogan. Stick around. The Daily Social Distancing Show will be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, please remember that because the COVID pandemic has devastated communities around the world, the International Medical Corps is helping those communities rebuild and recover, but they need your help to do it. So if you are able to, and you would like to, please donate whatever you can. And if you'd like to support the response specifically at home here in New York, please donate to the NYC Healthcare Heroes who are providing care packages to our healthcare workers, hospitals, and temporary medical facilities. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember, if you defeat your roommates in combat, the living room is yours. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.